Good. Good morning. Welcome to Yonkson Baptist Church English Sunday School class for June 12th, 2022. We are now in Lesson 5, uh, or Unit 5, Lesson 13, in our study of looking in the evidence in us, man, for creation. Uh, we've been on quite a journey in this unit over the last year, exploring specifically now the wonders of the human body over the last couple of months and looking at that evidence in us that supports the belief in creation, what the Bible says, and refutes evolution, what man says. You know, belief in evolution, I don't know if you've ever thought about it this way, makes God a liar at best. But it denies his very existence at worst. And those are not things that we as believers should be letting into our lives as possibilities of our own ways of thinking. We never want to call God a liar. And we never want to deny God's existence. But that is two of the three-step program, or two steps of the three-step program uh, that Satan used in the garden and still continues to use to lie to man today. I hope that as we're going through these lessons, we're building confidence in the Lord and in his word and helping to confirm that you don't have to believe evolution despite what man tries to tell you. The better you understand the formation of different species, the changes in animal kinds, right? the differences between what is actual natural selection, actual adaptation within a kind, and what is random magical mutation, right? and life from non-life, and one kind changing into another kind. Understanding those differences, the basics of genetics, basics of the theory of evolution. Um, you don't have to swallow the mainstream brainwashing. You can rather do what scripture says. Let God be true and every man a liar. In Romans 3, 4. Today, I want to wait a little deeper. I don't have a presentation. We're just going to look at the notes and, and talk a little bit and look at several Bible verses. But I want to wait a little deeper toward what is a simple yet controversial truth. And look at it from a biblical perspective, obviously. That's why we're here in Sunday school, to look at it from starting with the Bible. And if we start with the Bible, we're never going to go wrong. We may not understand it. We may have to study a long time to make it make sense. But if we start with the Bible as our assumption, it will never be wrong. Starting with the, with the Bible as false, as evolution does, they're never going to be right. Um, occasionally, there will be a concept that is true, but they'll misuse it, misinterpret it. right? And so that's what we're kind of trying to look at today. According to the Bible, humans are unique among God's creation, right? Everything in Genesis 1 shows us humans are unique among God's creation. Yet, unlike the animals that, have, that were made after their kinds, we are united in our identity. What I mean by that is all humans were created by God, not just one, right? Not just two. All humans are created by God. Genesis 2, 7, the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. That's the beginning. But we're all made in the image of God. If you see in Genesis 1.26, and God said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and then it says, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God made him in their, in their image, right? Him as in Adam, but then that same promise of the 
image of God and the use of man and the dominion over creation is a them. It becomes a plural, meaning mankind, not just one man. So we are all created by God. We are all made in the image of God. Also, we are all one family. We see that in Acts 17, 26, as Pastor talked about a couple of weeks ago. And he, God, hath made of one blood all nations of men for to dwell on all the face of the earth and hath determined the times before appointed and the bounds of their habitation. We see from the beginning of Genesis to the end of the New Testament that God's idea was always for us to fill the earth, was always for us to spread out. And we'll see in a minute that we've constantly sinned against what it was God wants us to do, and the results are not God's fault, they're our fault, right? Um, but also, fourthly, not only are we all created by God, we're all made in the image of God, we are all one family, also we are all loved by God. And we see that in John 3, 16 and 17, mm -hmm. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For, there's more, God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Simply put, I want us to see that humans are all the same kind. We were not made after our kinds like animals were. We are all the same kind, the same race if you will, though people misuse that term. We have more to unite us than we do to divide us if we believe the Bible and we start with the Bible. Amen? So today, <clears throat> I want to look at the concept of the fact that man, right, all humans are of one blood. As Acts 17 says, we are one race, we are one kind. Okay? We live in very exciting times, Pastor says this quite a bit, that not only do we have the, the, he says that we have the truth of the complete word of God, right? That sets us apart from the responsibility of men like Job or men like David who did not have the complete word of God. But because we have the complete word of God, we are now responsible for the complete word of God. And that amount of truth is unending from our perspective. The more we study it, the more we see we don't know. Right? The more we mm -hmm. learn, the more we want, need to learn and want to learn because there's more there than we could ever absorb. But we have all of it at our fingertips, literally on our phone or in our Bibles. We have it at our fingertips. We can search, we can study, we can learn. But in addition to that, God has also graced us with the ability for science to continue to, to grow and abound. And we can see that we have the complete word of God to enable us to build a correct worldview to start from. But then from that worldview, we have this rapidly expanding body of information through the field, fields of science to confirm God's word as long as we're interpreting it correctly without preconceived notions that make us the authority, right? So what we learn and what we've been trying to show throughout this, this uh, last year is that when we actually get into the science, the science proves what God's word has been saying all along. Okay. Well, an example of that, in addition to the many examples we've already covered, is 1 Samuel 16, 7, where God told Samuel that he doesn't look on the outward appearance, but he looks on the heart. So we see this lesson from God that the inside determines the outside. Right? And so we can learn <clears throat> from God by looking at ourselves that nothing is ever simple Nothing is ever as simple as it appears on the surface. 
We can say that, but do we actually live like that? You can't judge a book by its cover, right? We have the idiom, but do we live like that? And that's the question. Skin color is often the first feature that we turn to when we talk about things that so-called race or racist distinctions between people. We actually sing a song. Jesus loves the little children, all the children of the world. What's the next, next line? Red and yellow, black and white, they are precious in his sight. But that's not really accurate because nobody's red and yellow, black and white. It would be more accurate to say, hey, good morning. Hello. It would be more accurate to sing shades of brown from dark to light. They are precious in his sight. Because, again, that's more scientifically accurate. <clears throat> we, God loves us all, that's true. Right? But, believe it or not, all human beings are basically the same color. And we are all shades of brown. Okay. I'm, I'm battling the fan here. I need it to stay cool, but I also need my papers not to blow away. <laughs> so there are no truly black or white people. We're all just shades of brown. Some of us get a little more sun, and some of us don't. <laughs> We're just different shades. And here, here's how we can get to that. Every human being, here's a little science, has the same basic pigment in their skin. It's called melanin. You've heard the term before, right? Melanin is basically a brown color. You can have less of it, you can have more of it, but it itself is a brown color. Melanin protects the skin against damage from ultraviolet light from the sun. It has a purpose. If you have too little melanin in an environment that's too sunny, then you run the risk of sunburn and skin cancer and things like that. So you should adapt to have more melanin if you abide generationally in a, an environment that is more sunny. If you have a great deal of melanin and you choose to live in an area that has very little sun, right, then your body, which needs sunshine for its production of vitamin D, is going to exhibit deficiencies of vitamin D because with too much melanin you can't absorb the sunlight that is actually there because it's all being blocked out. So there's a give and a take here where you should over time, your generationally should produce less melanin to try to adapt to your environment. Our genes, though, don't determine the amount of melanin that we will produce. Our genes determine our genetic potential for melanin. So my potential limit of the amount of melanin my body can produce, how dark I can get, is less than Denise's. Her body can actually produce more melanin, given her environment that stimulates her to do so, than mine can. So she, at her darkest, has a limit genetically, and then her body can go up and down within that based on her environment. I have a limit where my body can only produce so much melanin. It can produce none, or it can produce its most, but its most is never going to be <laughs> as dark as other people, right? And so that's, that's how we get those shades. Even within our own lives, we've been different shades based on our environment, but our bodies have a genetic potential which is where our genes are encoded. Um, there are about 20 genes governing skin shade, um, and there are so many combinations of potential shades that your two parents can produce, but that's all determined um, by the dominant and recessive genes, right? We've, we've looked at uh, gene, 
gene concepts and in the in genetics. Basically, for every gene, you have you could do uh, the presentation of a capital letter would mean a dominant gene, and a lowercase letter would mean a recessive gene. And if you have both, your your offspring could produce one or the other. If you have only dominant genes, you can only pass the dominant gene. You cannot pass the recessive trait, right? In the same way, if you have only the recessive traits, you no longer have the ability to pass a dominant trait, right? And so then in the concept of someone who is all dominant, say darkest, highest levels of melanin, marrying someone who is also highest levels of melanin, they have no ability in their genetic coding to produce someone with re all recessive low levels of melanin. Genetic potential is gone, and that's going to become important in our, in our conversation as we move forward. The only way that that would happen, because you've effectively lost the recessive traits out of your gene pool, you would have to mix, right, with someone who reintroduces the recessive gene into the gene pool in order for there to be a difference. Okay. It's the same thing with facial features. Um, we typically differentiate each other when we think of you know, racist concepts. It's either the shade of the skin or the shape of the face, right? Those are the things that we really key in on. But what are those things? This is just genes that encode an, an amount of melanin that's darker or lighter. Facial features such as eyes, right? Would we say that all of our eyes are different shapes? Especially if my, my eyes compared to say Koreans, right? I'm, we're in Korea. Um, our eyes are not different shapes. There's nothing about the structure of the socket in my skull or the eyeball that's in that socket that's different. They're the same, the same shape. Different sizes, obviously I'm bigger than men, so my eyeballs are bigger than her, right? But the shape you see of the eye has nothing to do with the inside. It has everything to do with the outside. It's just a layer of fat in the skin around the eye, and certain genes encode there to be more fat, to be a, a different shape of the eye opening, right? And some have less. We all have a fat layer there. Some of us have more, some of us have less. And that's just the genes. And again, dominant and recessive traits that as people spread apart, if it's only dominant, it's only recessive, right? You lose the genetic ability to display the other when in the beginning, it was dominant and recessive of everything, right? More than likely, Adam and Eve were, of all of their genes, they were like this. So they were they had the perfect combination of all, you know, the human genome is about 25,000 genes. So all 25,000 of them expressed in Adam as both dominant and recessive. And they expressed in Eve as both dominant and recessive, giving both of them in their combinations as they both provide a copy of their 25,000 genes to their first child, genetic potential of what Cain could look like is infinite because they both had a perfectly balanced 
human genome that could produce infinite variety and diversity every single time in a single generation. Uh, we see that in even today in, in things that are differentiatedly a lot less genetics. The, the, the coloring of a dog. You can have one litter, one generation that produces seven different colors because the genetic potential was already there. It didn't create a new color. The color combinations were already there and then they were just expressed in the random combinations of mathematics, right? Which is the diversity that God's word would lead us to believe would happen. God wanted us to be diverse. He planned us to be diverse. But there was never, there's never a reason that you look at a, a pit bull that has a litter of pit bulls and say, okay, those that are brown, when the mother is white, that's a different race of pit bull. No, it's not. She's got a different hair color. It's still a pit bull. It's still her pit bull, right? Everybody realizes that. It's just different hair color. Everything on the inside is the same. And it's much the same with humans. Because with a proper understanding of what happened, what's happening under the skin, all of the so-called racial differences that we bicker about are trivial. Did you know the concept of human races is not found in the Bible? That's right. It is completely alien to scripture. It is instead a product of the philosophy of sinful man. And God created about 6,000 years ago, when we talk about the, the timeline here, right? About 6,000 years ago, God created a perfect world with a perfect man, and a perfect woman, and a perfect garden. And those first two humans were created in his image, as we talked about. And they were created to rule under God to care for all of the rest of God's creation. Then sin is introduced, all of that is, right? Corruption, catastrophe after the flood. Noah's family then received that same call, right? And all the people on earth today, this is very important, are descended from Noah's three sons who descended from the first man, Adam, right? That's in Genesis 9:19 in your notes. There, these are the three sons of Noah, and of them was the whole earth overspread, okay? So of the three sons of Noah who are of the first man, Adam, we are all the same bloodline. Does that make sense? The same bloodline. There is no new bloodline that can be introduced after the flood. Even if you call Cain's bloodline cursed and separate, it died off before the flood. We've talked about that recently. There is only one bloodline from the flood onto us. We are all one blood. We are, this, we are brothers and sisters and siblings and cousins, and we are the same family. Okay. At Babel, the Tower of Babel, right? We have confusion on the seven seas of history here. At the Tower of Babel, mankind rebelled against God and refused to follow God's word to, re to reproduce and cover the whole earth, right? He said, be fruitful, multiply, and cover the earth. So replenish the earth. That means fill it. So be fruitful, multiply. Go out there, spread out. I've given you an entire world. And what do they do? They all gather together under their own little guise of idea, ideas, and they're going to build a tower to heaven, right? That's a rebellion, a direct rebellion against what God has been commanding man to do from the beginning, okay? And in that rebellion, they're setting themselves up as their ultimate authority, and they began a cycle of abuses that has repeated itself in every people group and every generation. 
God's word condemns things like genocide and all, a long list of other abuses like abuse of the unborn, abuse of the poor, the young, the old, the sick. Um, principles derived from God's word also condemn discrimination based on language, culture, gender, or skin tone. God did not create racism by banishing everybody at the at battle. Man sin did that. Man's sin caused him to confuse them and spread them out, to make them obey, to spread out, right? But a consequence of it being a sinful punishment as opposed to the, the, the faithful command, right? A consequence is that when they separated, their gene pools were diminished because they could no longer intermarry with other possible gene combinations. So when the, when the, the languages got confused, the people that were speaking the same were in this area, and they stayed in this area, and they didn't, they didn't um, commingle, right? So then their gene pool was now diminished. They didn't gain anything. They lost things. They may, more than the diversity that was originally there, display more of a specific trait, skin color, size, um, grip strength, you know, number of teeth that they, that they grow, whatever, right? The, the, the color of their hair, right? That might express itself more often, but that specified expression, like everybody for 12 generations being a redhead with blue eyes, is not, it's a specialization, right? It's a decrease of information, not an increase of information. That doesn't make them more evolved, more advanced. If anything, it makes them less. Does that make sense? Because as the gene pool diminishes, as the genetic potential diminishes, that's not adding information. It's taking information away. And that's all we've ever observed. We've never observed any process naturally adding information to the genome. Okay, got a little off track there. <laughs> but the events of the Tower of Babel that split up that human gene pool, right, now make different combinations. Some people are light-haired, fair-skinned, fair-haired. Some people are dark-skinned, dark-haired, right, based off their environment after they were dispersed from the confusion after the Tower of Babel. With our current understanding of genetics, we know that these biological differences are superficial and insignificant when it comes to the study of the human race. Our physical differences are merely different combinations of physical features that God had originally put in the human gene pool at creation. They were already there. They're just being expressed differently, more, more uh, consistently. The continued expression of those genes, again, as I said, has more to do with the environmental adaptation, which is a real thing, right? And some to do with the isolation from genetic variation, but it has no bearing on the value of life. And that's one key thing we have to take away from actual unemotional study of science is that the differences in the way we look have no bearing on the value of our life. Back in the mid-19th century, however, in England, racism, which was then ethnic superiority, or racism as ethnic superiority, was quite popular. And it coincided with blatant attacks on the Bible uh, from men like Herbert Spencer, Charles Darwin, Thomas Huxley, they all sought to render the Bible as myth. And if you're going to do that, start with the foundation, right? They started with Genesis and the creation account. Because if the foundations are destroyed, what can the people do? The subtitle, I don't know if you knew this, we've talked about it in this class, but the subtitle of Darwin's 1859 classic, The Origin of Species, is actually the preservation of favored races in the struggle for life. 
one of the most racist titles of a book that's ever been written, and also one of the most swept under the rug and glorified books of all time. Um, that book dealt solely with the evolution of animals in general, but that information was then used in his later book, The Descent of Man, where he applied all of those ideas to the history of mankind and further undermined the Bible. Um, by the way, don't know if you knew this. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, I'll talk about that in a minute. Tragically, the views of these few men who were adamantly against God and against Scripture inspired other men who came after them who made the 20th century, that's now in our history, the bloodiest century in the history of the world. Men like Joseph Stalin, Adolf Hitler, um, Mao, Pol Pot, right? The, between these four men, just four men, over, t over 20 million people, over 20 million people were murdered because of those men and all of their actions, it can be shown through their own writings. They did what they did because of the influence of Darwinian naturalism. It fanned the flames of ethnic superiority that their secular mindsets were already indoctrinated with. They already thought from a nationalist perspective, from a purist perspective, from a we're better than you perspective, and then they had a justification for it when they were given the theory of evolution. So their prejudices that they already held in their heart could now be worn on their sleeve and be executed because, well, if God's not real, right? There's no reason for all this. If we're just animals, we're just chemicals, and we are evolving, then why don't we make that process faster? To them, if you completely remove the spiritual world, it is logical. It is cold logic that if certain parts of the evolutionary chain have to die off for the better parts to succeed, natural selection, why don't we help it? Why don't we make a little unnatural selection and force the process forward for the good of all mankind? Not for my own good, right? Because that's, that's the way they thought was, this is not good for me, this is good for future generations to further advance civilization because I'm the only one with the, the guts and the brains to do it. How arrogant and how completely misguided. But if we see that according to humanism, according to humanism, as we've talked about before, right, the concept that the human mind is the final authority instead of God, according to human reason, everybody can do what's right in their own eyes. We see that all the way back to the book of Judges, Judges 21, 25, and everyone did that which was right in his own eyes. And you read some of the stories in Judges, and if they don't make your spine curl, then you've probably got some, um, some issues. There, there are some really, really disturbing tales in the book of Judges. And as the writer of Judges doesn't necessarily judge those things to be right or wrong, just tells you this is what was happening because everybody did what was right in their own eyes. And we see that today. We see, we see awful atrocities like these and this is the true legacy of Darwin. Not science, not advancement. The true legacy of Darwin is hate and sin and death and destruction. That's the true legacy of evolution. But through technological advances and countless hours of painstaking research, modern scientists 
are uncovering wonderful biological truths about biological life. And it's immeasurably more complicated and complex than anybody could have imagined in the 18th century when they wrote silly books like that. These wonders are thankfully shooting holes daily in evolutionary theory. And in his book, Darwin's Black Box, Michael Behe uh, subtitled The Biochemical Challenge to Evolution. Michael Behe describes the phenomenal chemical machines that make up the foundations of life. Some of those we looked at last time when we talked about cells. Right? He goes really in depth into all of that concept and shows how it is absolutely mathematically impossible for them to come into being by the process of Darwinian evolution. So that's a book I would definitely recommend uh, to anybody looking more at the subject. The same goes beyond biochemistry for the science of genetics, as we've been talking about today. Genes are pieces of DNA, right? And we've learned previously that DNA is the encoded information necessary to build a living organism, right? It's in every one of your cells. But that information, the DNA itself, is the most complex, most concentrated, highly efficient storage system of information in the known universe. And it was designed from the very beginning by God, where he put out all the information that is necessary to make everything in this little strand of DNA. It's all there, encoded, which is four letters, right? Four, four pieces of code that produce everything. <clears throat> and that genetic code that, um, oh yeah, science shows us that evolution doesn't, what evolution doesn't want us to know. We see all of this, all the genetic diversity, living organisms, the biochemical uh, basis for life. And we see that it's already all present. It's never being added and there is never going to be a natural process where matter can add information. It, it does not exist. The genetic code that God created for Adam and Eve was perfect, but the consequences of the fall and living in a fallen environment caused mutations, right? And mutations are glitches in the genetic code that can change the way an organism was originally designed. These changes are often passed on to future generations of offspring. It's vital to note here, mutations are not the hero of the story, like Darwin and Marvel Comics would like you to believe. The mutations are flaws, always. Mutations are always flaws. They never add information. Rather, they usually result in a corruption of information and sometimes even in a deletion of information that you never get back, right? Yeah. And the, the fact that they can corrupt or delete that information, it's usually a total loss. There's no generational passing to be able to bring that information back in. Another important distinction is natural selection. When we talk about mutation and natural selection as the two pillars of evolution, basically. Right? Natural selection, which does exist, just changes in a kind based off of, well, my feet needs to get bigger because I'm, I'm in a different place or whatever. Right? That natural concept of feet getting larger or skin getting darker, that's, that is natural selection in this area. They're going to survive and they're going to pass on those, uh, those traits. But it can only operate on the information that already exists in the gene pool. It can never add information to the pool. So it can never change any kind of thing into another kind of thing because that would require additional information. Natural selection and mutations lead to physical diversity and increased, uh, but not increased genetic information or potential. The changes observed both with natural selection and mutations are the opposite 
of those changes needed for evolution to work. So scientists know this is true, but sadly nobody gets taught it in schools. Um, it threatens the belief in Darwinian evolution. We can't have that because if, they, if man refuses to believe the Bible and refuses to believe God, they have to have something else to believe. And they have locked on to Darwinian evolution as the other thought process to believe. That's their philosophy. That's their faith, right? And they're going to fallaciously defend it with everything they have because, the, because as several um, uh, humanist evolutionary scholars have said, evolution has to be true because the only other alternative is special creation. And that's unimaginable. They know that the only other option from evolution is special creation, and they cannot accept special creation because special creation makes man accountable to the creator, and man only wants to be accountable to himself. So let's wrap this up. The concept of race in humans is meaningless, and there are four key takeaways we need to see. One, we came from one man. Two, we came from one woman. Three, all humans are fully human from fertilization, and four, there is only one race, the human race. Those things can be brought out in uh, verses like 1 Corinthians 15, 45, Genesis 3, 20. Um, we know from Y-chromosomal DNA studies that the father passes on the Y-chromosome throughout every generation, and we would expect that the, the Y-chromosome DNA studies would show that um, 